0: Hello and welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies, and I do it in chronological order, and I do it every Wednesday. The only thing different is that this week, I'm not doing it alone. So I picked up my phone, and I dialed M for Mark. What's up, Mark?
1: That was clever. I love it. I love it. This is a weird crossover week.
0: Yeah. So Mark is my co-host on... Budget Arcade, and probably more appealing to people of this show, the movie Draft House, uh, where we review movies similar to this, but it's not all Alfred Hitchcock, but it's like themed every month. Yeah, it's worth a listen. You get it. It's worth a listen. Yeah, I think it's fun. Uh, I'll once again point you to the Uncut Jim's episode, but consider that <laughs> uh, that's Jeff podcasting after dark. It's a little more blue than I work. Not great, like not disgusting. But, you know,
1: Uh, I will I will point out that our cross stitch killer episode has our most our most listens. Uh, So um, it's our our, also our debut episode for that show. But uh, I digress. This is your show.
0: Well, the debut episode for this podcast has also got the most (laughs) listens. But I do find that the popularity of the movie certainly affects the numbers.
1: Yeah, no and I, so, I I imagine that these uh your early review the, the reviews of Hitchcock's early work don't get as much as probably these movies that, that you're so currently. So the movie
0: in. Murder got a lot and it's not, I don't think it's because it's famous but because it's just called Murder. <laughs> um <laughs> but then like The Man Who Knew Too Much, the original, got a pretty good amount of views. Um uh, The Lady Vanishes, the episode you were on last has done very well. Uh maybe it's you, but maybe it's the Lady Vanishes.
1: I'll I'll tug on my own horn there.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we watched uh Dial In for Murder. Uh it came out in 1954. So, Mark, you have seen a silent movie with me, yep. which was uh I don't what remember. Was that one? I don't remember uh Easy Virtue. That's right. You saw a black and white movie with sound also that was the lady vanishes and now you've watched a color movie with sound by alfred hitchcock you've 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 dipped your toe back in just in the right places i've run the gamut this is only his second color film uh the first one being rope which starred jimmy stewart um oh lord help us it's editing room jeff here don't worry mark this time it's on me Uh, This is actually Hitchcock's third color film, the first being Rope, the second being Under Capricorn, which I forgot about. And of course, this movie, Dial M, in color, back to the show, I'm an idiot. But just base level, this is the first time you've watched Dial M for Murder? This
1: is the first time I've watched uh, the original version here. Um, I've seen A Perfect... Is not A Perfect Murder? Is it... Ba- it's based yes. off of this? It's, right.
0: So there is another movie called A Perfect Murder, which I believe was 98. Um, I'll double check that. But actually, A Perfect Murder is the first DVD I've ever owned. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so old, I don't know old why. Old Michael Douglas. Uh, but Michael Douglas, yeah, 98, my brain is so good sometimes, but Michael Douglas, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Viggo Mortensen, there are some differences, but the plot is pretty similar. A uh man blackmails someone into killing his own wife as a way to get uh money. Now, the excuse he uses for himself is that she is having an affair, and that pretty much... Ties both ways. So in our movie are our, um, our big stars. Uh, While well, the biggest star in this movie is Grace Kelly. Um, even if you don't know her, you've probably heard her name before. She plays Margot wi- Windice and she's married to Tony Windyce played by Ray Millard. And she's also uh, romantically involved with Mark Halliday, who's played by Robert Cummings. And that's three of the big ones. And the last big character in this is chief inspector hubbard played by john williams not the producer of music
1: uh can i just interject here real quick that if, of course if you're looking for a the the superior version of this particular film um this is it this 54 oh, version whew. is
0: okay I was wondering where that was going to go.
1: No, no, no. Ah. Don't. I've seen A Perfect Murder, and it's fine. Yeah. Uh, this movie crushes it, hands down.
0: Which is good, because the last two movies, you've been sour on the first one. Rightly so. Easy is not a good movie. Yeah. And then Indifferent to Negative About the Lady Vanishes, right. which is a movie I really like. It's still one of my favorite movies I've watched for the show. Um, it's probably in the top 10, at least I've considering I've watched 30 movies. It's in the top 33%. (laughs) Uh, this movie's also there. Um, I, this is the second time I've seen this movie. Now, this is the movie that actually sort of sparked the podcast in the sense that I've always been a fan of psycho and a couple of other Hitchcock works, uh, to the point where this was available to watch. And uh, I watched it, and I was like, "That was good. I should probably watch all of Hitchcock's movies." So this was the most recent Hitchcock movie I'd watched before starting the podcast.
1: I, love, I I've thoroughly enjoyed this this film. Um, I, That's good. I I, I, I want, You know, <laughs> it's very dialogue heavy, um, but the character. I'm sorry, the actors playing the characters, and I actually thought Grace Kelly was probably the, the weakest of all so, of these
0: characters. And I think that is true for a lot of Hitchcock films. There are exceptions. Ingrid Bergman in Notorious, which is one of my, that would be in my top five movies right now of his that I watch. Notorious is fantastic. Uh, and she's the best part of it. But generally speaking, I think the women are directed to act in a certain manner and i hate it. Yeah. There are exceptions. Ingrid Bergman being one of them. There are a couple more, but largely i feel like they're directed to be this sort of helpless oh, woe is me type character. Right. Well, uh, i, I,
1: I yeah. and i think that that's likely true for a vast majority of films from this era.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it Have just, you it seen just what streetcar named Desire that movie's awful. <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of people love it, but Vivian Lee, who I like, just winds that whole movie. And I like strong female characters. That's probably why Notorious is one of my top ones because she is not woe is me, helpless. You know, she takes control in a lot of scenes and it's just really good. Well, but. And- for, for Grace Kelly, as big of a
1: name as Grace Kelly is now, and I don't, I'm, I I can't speak for how big she was in 1954. I mean, she was she was an A list actress, but um, I I don't know who I would compare her to, you know, current current day. But you know, she, and and you're you're right. the The writing for her character uh, wasn't very strong, but. That's that's probably that's probably my biggest and maybe one of only gripes I have with the movie is is that Mm -hmm. the that her character just wasn't good.
0: Yeah. And so our movie starts out with Grace Kelly and her. uh, Let's see. That's her. uh, Great. Let me get my brain together. Grace Kelly and her husband are having a meal and she sees in the newspaper that her author boyfriend, uh, her side piece is coming to town. And she has invited him over. They sort of, the husband knows that they're cheating and she knows that he knows, but they haven't said anything out loud. Um, because he found a letter that she had saved from her boo. Uh, that's Mark holiday. Now, Mark holiday is a writer. He's also a crime writer. Um, and that comes into play here as the movie goes on. Uh, and he, they, he comes over. They introduce each other and have a talk. And uh, our protagonist, uh, one of them, uh, Tony, that's Grace Kelly's husband, has bought tickets to go see a play. And unfortunately, he's not going to be able to go. So he sends Mark and his wife Margot off on their own. Here's a guy that knows that <laughs> his wife is cheating on him with this guy, and she sends, and he sends her out with him. And she does, or excuse me, he does this to invite over, uh, a gentleman by the name of Charles Swan, who is selling a car. And under the pretense of buying that car, he invites this gentleman over. Yeah. Now, uh, uh,
1: the righty, see, and the movie is so dialogue heavy and, and, and the vast majority of the, I want to say the entire, the entirety of the movie takes place in the, in this
0: apartment, um, and it almost completely does. There's one like scene that takes, there's like a one or two scenes that take place just outside of the apartment. Yeah, And then one scene that is like this weird dream sequence in a courtroom. That's very, very brief. You don't even see a courtroom. It's kind of one of the parts I didn't like, but um, like you said, it's dialogue heavy. And, I, and, and for a movie to be dialogue heavy, it has to be really good dialogue, oh, and I think that it's it is. so good. Uh, now, I mean, we're
1: talking about a, a movie from 1954, um, and, it, and it takes place in a singular location, and the movie's almost two hours long.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel it to me. No, it didn't. Like, and, it, and this is my second time watching it. And sometimes knowing plot points and going back through a movie, you can be like, uh, I'm not in the mood for this. Right. And I was as riveted and enjoyed it as much as I did the first time I watched it. Maybe even more so because I looked forward to certain performances. Well,
1: and Ray Milland, uh, he is so good with this dialogue. He command like his the deliver the delivery of every line and just his mannerisms as he's uh, as he's talking and and it and you really. The movie really gets going with this dialogue once uh, Margot and uh, Mark go out, and this guy Charles Swan comes over and, under the the pretense that he's selling a car. But every every bit of dialogue plays a piece in how the how the film finally unfolds, and. Uh, Ray Ray is, is very, and I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else, but
0: I don't recognize him from anything I've seen going back through uh, Hitchcock's catalog and I don't remember seeing him he, in anything else. he
1: is a he is an Oscar winner, so that makes sense
0: that jives
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, and it's really his meter like one of the things that Hitchcock does do well as bad as his female characters are, he has a lot of male characters that have this metered controlled, even in the most tense situations, they seem to be calm and able to kind of handle things. And that's what he does. He's got this situation where he's now confronting Mr. Swan because he knows some things about Mr. Swan's past that I'm not going to get too big into. He's basically fraud, you know, for some other people and he threatens to turn him in. um, Or, he can murder his wife. By his wife, I mean uh, Tony's own wife, Grace Kelly.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the the people in the scenes, the actors in the scenes with Ray Milland, um, are also very good. Uh, like late, you know, later on in the movie, he's got a bunch of scenes with uh, Robert Cummings, Mark that plays the uh, character of Mark. Um, but these these early scenes with. Anthony Dawson who plays Charles Swan in his apartment. They're very I mean like they're I was almost awestruck by how good these performances were, is because when you think of these films from this era, era and before, you you don't necessarily think about great performances. You you just think of, you know, hey, low budgets, um, you think of single cameras, you think of um, very cheap set designs, and this this movie blew me away as far as the uh, the 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 acting goes, and how dialogue can affect tone, and because uh, there's very, I mean, there there is musical uh overtones when when something happens or when somebody. Makes a confession or accuses something, but for the most part, it's it's kind of a, like a poetic banter that, yeah, uh, Ray Meland has with uh, Robert Cummings or Anthony Dawson or later in the in the film John Williams.
0: Um, so the movie is based on a play, and you can tell because that's why it happens on one set that really helps in a play. There's also a lot of conversation that will. So there's a sequence later in the movie that's happening outside of their apartment. And while we, as the viewer can see it because we're watching a movie, he still says the dialogue. I think that's in the play where he's describing what's happening back to the other characters in the other room, which I think is just pulled right out of the play. Um, and I liked it because it it made me feel like I'm watching a play. And I there's a, the movie Rope I talked about before felt very much like a play. It's, it, it takes place in this apartment completely. And um, this movie kind of has a similar feel. This is a better movie. Um, but I, I like that about it. It's just the times you can see those little seams are nice. So he blackmails this guy in a great scene. And he says, tomorrow night, you're going to come back here and you're going to kill my wife. And the guy spends a lot of time just looking around the house, kind of checking things, turning lights on and off, just kind of figuring out how he's going to do it. And so the next day, Mark and uh, Tony are going to go to a, uh, what is it? Uh, think, like a, yeah, it's
1: a, it's a play, isn't it?
0: No, I think it's just guys getting together. It looked like they were all just chilling at a table. And so the whole idea is, is that he... And this is also pretty close to what happens in A Perfect Murder. They, He's going to call the house, which will draw his wife out to the location that he wants her to be when the attack starts. And that is in his living area next to his desk. And he indeed calls, and the attacker comes out, tries to strangle her. They have a struggle... And she ends up stabbing him with a pair of scissors, and he dies instantly.
1: Yeah, that that, that scene was pretty bad. Um. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I mean, yeah. the,
1: the, just the overacting by by uh, Grace Kelly and then Anthony Dawson.
0: <laughs> I think I don't think she was as bad as he was in this because he got <laughs> stabbed and he went ah, and then fell over dead. But he, like,
1: but he made the 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 like demonstrative arm movements and then yeah
0: it it yeah it's not great um and then he as he's kind of lying around he falls back on his back and the the scissors go deeper into his back and he dies so grace kelly picks up the phone and is like help someone there because remember she had picked up the phone because tony had called to draw her out and Tony's on the other end. Now he hears that his wife has killed the guy he hired, and she's like, "Help, help!" And Tony's like, "Grace or whatever her name is." Sorry, Margo. Um, Margo, I'm coming home. Don't call the police.
1: Well, it, so I didn't really understand why he didn't just hang up the phone. Um, yeah, I. I it, it was just an odd choice, and I and I understand it has plot uh ramifications but it just it seems to be a larger plot gap
0: <laughs> i like for me though i don't know because he's in the moment and what what do you how do you really process everything and make a decision at that point i mean I the the, him- the original plan
1: was that he was gonna call wait for the for the charles swan guy to whistle and then well, he well, he never whistled. Right, he never. That's why he
0: didn't. Right, <laughs> I, right.
1: But so, like, as soon as as Margot, you know, says something into the phone, and he know, he realizes that stuff has gone awry. Why didn't he just hang up and then wait for her to either a call the police or
0: right? So I think that's where you can kind of maybe say that he said he didn't want her to get the authorities there right. first. Because what he does is he rushes home. He tells her, don't talk to anyone. Don't call the police. And he gets home and this allows him to clean up things. So the big uh, deal here is the key. Um, Margot and Tony each have a key to their flat. And if you don't know, that's British for apartment. And those are the only two keys. So in order to allow the killer into the place, he had taken Margot's key off of her ring, and placed it under the step, uh, uh, under the carpet on the steps outside of the apartment. And our killer gets in, and we'll kind of th- this part gets a little hard to recap because it is a little complex. The order of yeah, it sort is. of because they even try to unwind it several times, and so it kind of gets lost on me. Uh, but he goes and he finds the key that was on the killer and he puts that on Margot's key ring. And then he tucks the, this letter into the killer's pocket, which was essentially what was being used as blackmail. So now he's trying to pin the blackmail on this killer that he had hired to kill his wife. Well, I mean, and- it's a, it's a sound pivot I, for, yeah, he does a lot of sound pivots. Right. He
1: I mean this dude Tony Windus, is I mean he's he's pretty he's pretty good. He's pretty good. <laughs> um but like the key that like you said the key plays uh, a pivotal role in the outcome it of the And it does
0: now it does in a perfect murder. It's a different role, but it's still kind of similar. Um but so the big difference is is that in a perfect murder, he blackmails her boyfriend into doing the killing. And in this, the boyfriend is very much the good guy. Right. Uh so after she's attacked, they get the police there and they the police are like, Why didn't you call us? And he tells them he tells Grace Kelly to lie and say, Oh, I just assumed my husband had called. Which you know he's now at this point he's in full defense mode. He's really just trying to cover his own tracks, and he starts trying to pin everything on Grace Kelly's character, which to me is a little tenuous in the sense of the connections. What? She had ligature marks on her neck. I mean, you're the you're the police officer.
1: Yeah. No, how
0: I... how would you come across this? I mean, those. <laughs>
1: it's it's hard is and like the and i will I will say that the nineteen fifty four policing that is represented here by some of England's finest um isn't great uh, but, <laughs> but uh the i I would say that you know for him trying to pin like pin everything like once he realizes that the police are now looking at Margot and trying to, you know, suggest that she killed this man because he knew about her affair, that's when that's when Tony just goes full bore and is like, yeah, I'm on board, let's go. Um,
0: yeah, he just kind of, and he does it in a smart way. He sort of backs it up, but making it look like he's defending his wife, you know? Um, he's very clever that way, and so they. Our main detective here is John played Cleese. by John Williams. Oh. Uh-huh. John Cleese, <laughs> it dude looks like John Cleese in the movie. I I would be okay with that. Um, <laughs> he looks like John, John like John Cleese in, Cleese. in the movie. Uh, is played by uh, John Williams, who plays Chief Inspector Hubbard, and he takes up the majority of the second half of this movie. He's very good detective. He's and, very good, and he basically he's the guy who really starts presenting. Grace Kelly's character as the killer. That she killed this guy. And he does such a great job of it. And with the assistance of Tony not being particularly helpful in her case gets her uh, arrested and sentenced to death.
1: It's a very fast uh, judicial process they have. Over I,
0: the and there's a couple. There's this movie <laughs> and then there's a movie I reviewed uh, was it last week? I can't remember but where they, they, they just briefly blow by it, which is good. You know? Fine. Right I don't need extra scenes. This movie's <laughs> two hours long. We're okay. And so they're basically like, you've been sentenced to death. And it's the the morning of the day her sentencing is going to be carried out. And her boyfriend, Mark, comes over and he's like, Listen, we gotta get her off. Let's let's make up a story. Let's say that uh you paid to have her killed and he basically lays down with a few inaccuracies what the setup was, you know, what if you hid your key out here, like above the door jam? Well, it wasn't hit above the door jam, but he's in the right, he's in the right area.
1: It's such good. it's, It's such good storytelling.
0: Yeah. And the whole time cool as a cucumber, Tony's like, huh, but what about this? You know, encounters these thoughts and then, Mark comes up with the perfect counter to what actually happened, you know, and he, all Mark's trying to do is delay the sentencing, you know, let's cast a shadow of doubt here so that we can keep her from being killed. You love her. And I love her. You know, they both know that they're in love with the same woman. And, but the whole time Tony has been sending, spending money that he saved up to pay the killer. And this money spending has made our chief inspector suspicious. And while Mark is there, the chief inspector shows up and he does a little key swap. Uh he has taken the key from Margot's keychain and tests it on the door, and it doesn't work. And this goes, hmm. He starts thinking about that. And then Mark is in the other room and he finds a briefcase full of cash. This is the cash that our, our friend Tony has been spending. And he presents it to the police chief. Who's like, "Ah, that's interesting. And he just plays it off. Like Mark's, why are you even in here? Like he, he acts like he's not even interested in Tony as a suspect anymore.
1: I say it was a little bit weird. Uh, cause, cause old Mark just popped out of the room like everything was yeah. cool, <laughs> and uh, and I don't think Tony knew he was in there at first either. Um,
0: he knew Mark was in there. Well, no, he no. Like I don't th- think he, he saw Mark he in go house. into
1: the into the room. But then he, but he's just like sitting there in the room on the bed, uh, listening to Tony and the inspector's conversation, and he finds the briefcase, and he and then he picks the briefcase lock. And uh, opens it up, and there's all this cash, and so as the inspector's getting ready to leave, uh, you know, and and saying, "I think we're done here," you know, old Mark pops out of the room, putting two and two together, and goes, "I think you'll want to see this," and old inspector's just like, "Oh, hey, Mark,
0: what's going on?" And yeah, well, and the reason being is because the inspector already has a plan in place, right. Once he tested that key and he knew it wasn't the right key to the house, he started his wheels started turning. And he uncovered that Tony had left the key under the stairs. Or under the carpet on the stairs. But what he did not know, Tony, was that the killer, when he unlocked the door, placed the key right back where he found it underneath the carpet. And and, and so the
1: killer's key. That was in his pocket was to his own apartment and they look exactly alike.
0: Right. And he puts that key on Margo's keychain. So he takes this key and he sends one of his officers back and they put it on Margo's key ring and they have Margo come down. This is while Tony is making his way. He sent Tony on his way to the police station to kind of have them cross paths. And Margot comes in, tries to use her key, can't get in, starts ringing the doorbell, can't get in, walks away. And then the inspector has his men bring her into the apartment and he starts to explain his theory. And basically at this point, uh, he sends that key back to the police station in Margot's handbag. And they give it to Tony. And what they want Tony to do is come back and try to get into his apartment with that key. And when it doesn't work, if he walks away, good for Tony. But what they are hoping and believing is going to happen, Tony is going to remember and think of his error. Think of the fact that this is the wrong key to the house. The key on the killer must have been his own key. That means my key is still under the carpet. And he goes outside to go back to the police station. And this is when chief inspectors narrating what's happening outside, back to those of us inside. And he goes back in, grabs the key from under the carpet and walks in the door. As he turns the lights on, he sees grace Kelly. He sees Mark and he sees the inspector and, and probably my favorite moment of this movie, knowing he's busted, he turns around, straightens himself out, straightens his jacket and pours himself a drink and sits down. He knows it's over. Uh, and, some scotch. Uh, yeah, and as the, the inspector calls the police home base, we fade to black. Th-
1: this movie might have one of the best closing shots I've ever seen. Um.
0: It's really good. Now, I will say this. <laughs> I, it, it, now, I record ahead of time, so Mark hasn't listened to the most recent episodes. But the last few movies... Hitchcock has done a great job going out at the right moment. Um, There were a couple earlier ones where he'd throw in one extra scene. You didn't need to make sure you knew everything was okay. Um, And lately he's been doing a great job of just being like, I can't top what we've just seen. The story's done. We're out. And um, I think that this is another uh, element of that.
1: The, uh, I just think the, the shot of the inspector Whipping out his mustache comb,
0: oh, and he's and he's yes. combing his mustache as it
1: fades the black, bro. That's all time. Oh. That's all time greatness.
0: Yeah, it, that is. I forgot about that completely. Yeah, it, as he's. I mean, it's so base. It's he's so, so proud of himself. It's so good.
1: It's so good. He brushes his mustache. The, uh, no, I, I agree with you. The, the The movie didn't need. We didn't need to see Tony being we didn't arrested. Need to see him go to jail right. it, or, it, that, that, like had no bearing on this story. Right. And I, I just I this this is a fantastic movie. it's top to bottom, it's fantastic. And I appreciate you letting me uh you let me jump on here is because I don't I would not have watched this movie with without you uh without you suggesting. Yeah. And so I, I think I I would be I'm probably gonna watch some some more 1950s Hitchcock movies. Um,
0: Notorious? I'll tell you right now. What, what let me let me pull up my list here. What you can watch cuz I've recently watched some really good ones. He's his uh efforts have been picking up. So uh you can skip straight I confess, which came right before this, that's a pretty good movie. The ending is super strong. Um Ropes okay, Notorious and Spellbound are really good. Lifeboat's really good. I would like if you're. Those are kind of forties though. So, but Notorious for sure, 1946. That's that's a really good movie.
1: And I'm I'm probably gonna go look up some some other
0: Ray Milland
1: films. He he gave a great performance uh, in this movie and.
0: Way better than Michael Douglas's character. Oh yeah, now I, mean, I was right. I was
1: actually gonna say that he he out he outacted uh, Michael Douglas, but it's it's just it's hard and and like these movies are are notorious no no pun intended but uh they're 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 known for these these films of singular locations or or not many locations. And dialogue, a lot of films from the 40s and 50s were very dialogue heavy. And so, you know, for him to deliver that kind of performance, that still holds up. That's the thing, is that...
0: Yeah. That this... He's still charismatic. Yeah. And still... Like, Cary Grant's one of my favorite actors from the Hitchcock films. And his first movie, I was like, this is garbage. What is this? (laughs) Like, he didn't have what I consider to be that Cary Grant charm. But this Tony character just smashed it. Like he's despicable and likable yeah. at the same time. And that's very hard to pull off. Right. And he and he's not he's the, the he's the anti hero. He's not he's
1: not a full right. blown villain. Wait, well, but he's not he's not full blown villain either. It's um you know, you're along the way you're rooting for his his care or at least I was. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't put that on me. <laughs> I was I was rooting for his character to somehow get away with it. Um it's because it seemed like he was always one step ahead and that you know that goes back to the writing and you know and the writing has to be strong regardless for the performance to be as good as it was, but I did, I just I felt myself you know towards the uh, the last like 15- 20 minutes of the film thinking oh this dude might get away with it and uh, and I I, I I enjoyed that I enjoyed rooting for his characters because his character was so charismatic he, he was so he was you found yourself it was easier to to root for somebody that had gone to such great lengths to attempt to murder his wife.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, we agreed this is a, a really good one. Definitely a watch it for sure one of the best movies that uh, I've had to watch so far in this catalog of movies. Uh, but guess what, Mark? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't stop there. The next movie I'm going to watch is Rear Window starring oh, Jimmy Stewart and our very own Grace Kelly. Oh, okay, good. Maybe maybe uh,
1: she uh, I I th- I've seen the Johnny Depp rear window. Um, There's
0: a Johnny Depp rear window? Isn't there? There's, um, I've heard, and I've not seen it. I've heard that Suspiria, or is that what it's called? The one with, um, what's that dude's name? I don't know. Old Dumpus, the Old Indiana Dumpus. Jones kid. Oh, it Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf, yeah. He was in one called Suspiria, I think, which is supposedly like a rear window. But I could... Anyway, i watch a Rear Window from 1954. This is his second movie in 1954. So really just a, a double feature of goodness.
1: Secret Window is the movie I'm thinking of.
0: Ah, uh, yes. I don't believe they're related. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Mark, tell people where they can find you. Uh, well, if
1: you're interested in my unfiltered movie thoughts, you can follow me on Twitter at I heard you liked. Um, if you like the the sound of my voice, you can find me with Jeff. It, that's pretty much it. You can find me with Jeff. Um, yeah, <laughs> just look look around.
0: <laughs> but
1: uh uh budget arcade uh the movie draft house uh really really fun show that we do, and um so yeah that's that's pretty much it for me.
0: Yeah, we're able to unleash the full barrage of Mark. I like to keep this show PG, PG thirteen at best. That show we're okay if it dips into an R rating. So it has um, the
1: E for explicit
0: label. Ooh, yeah.
1: Put the kids to bed.
0: Yeah, and put on some draft house. <laughs> Just you and your spouse and the draft house. <laughs> that, that's
1: actually not a bad idea. It's not a bad tagline.
0: <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at podcast by Jeff. Listen to the same podcast that Mark mentioned. I'm on both of them. Um, and I think that's it. You can email me at Hitchcock, Hitchcock chronologically hey, at gmail.com. Really? I've received just as many emails oh. as we have at the email address for Draft House, <laughs> which is zero. <laughs> Most of them are spam, uh, <laughs> uh, look, but I appreciate their engagement. Uh, real
1: quick, uh, give a shout out to you, uh, sir. Ooh. And uh, congratulations on on your milestone achievement with this podcast, uh, hitting a thousand streams or listens. And uh, I don't know how many episodes you're in, but it's no small feat. Uh,
0: Yeah. At the time of this recording, I passed a thousand listens today and we are recording on August 15th. Now this episode is going to come out. Let me see. This will give you a peek behind the curtain. Uh, this episode will come out on the 22nd of September. Oh, Jesus. So <laughs> I'll, yeah. Yeah. You got a month or so until you get to listen to it. I'm way ahead. And that's I where I want to be because I'm, I'm hoping by November I've got the podcast in the can. Um, but yeah, so just past a thousand. Thanks. If you've listened at all, if you've tried it and liked it, if you tried it and didn't like it, at least you listened. Um, so I think, I'm having fun. I'm actually in this. I've reached a point where the movies are good enough. Now I look forward to the next episode as opposed to the first half of this podcast where it was a slog, man. Well, I think
1: if you ask anybody that does a podcast or has ever attempted a podcast or has done a podcast and has not seen it all the way through or long enough to where it matters. Uh, the, I think half the battle is consistency. And so... Um, You've you've done it. You've right. you've accomplished it. And... and
0: that's been the goal. Like, so I've had I had uh Neo Retro video game disco. Let's make a trailer. Uh what else did I make? I had a, a podcast that never even got a feed called The Enemy's Gate that I did with Elliot. Uh film Soliloquy. And I so, well, that kind of ran its course. I don't feel that is a uh me not seeing things through. Oh, that okay. That series just ran its course. Sure. And if we feel like doing one, we'll do one. Um, but at the same time, it ended after, like, I've got more episodes of this than that. Uh, and what else was there? I feel like there's something else. Oh, every comedy ever. Um, I've just got a lot of podcasts I've started and then didn't really push all the way through. And having something with a finite finish and a goal in the end and the whole idea is I just wanted. to. I want to finish it. I want to finish something. And there are plenty of times specifically when we're running into racist stuff where I'm like, how do I watch Hitchcock and look at his art and also not, you know, deal with all the sticky stuff in the past. And that stuff's going to come up again when we get to some of the Tippi Hedren movies, because um, she has a lot to say about his, Perform his uh, actions. So, anyway, that's a side thing. I think,
1: and this will be the last thing, and you can close it out. Uh, I think you have done something here, and by the time November hopefully rolls around, um, that nobody else on the planet has done. And and I think that's pretty amazing. Um, So, the if if anybody is ever looking for for a, a audio recap of uh, every Hitchcock of movie. every Hitchcock movie ever, you've done it. You you uh, yeah. you are the sole provider, and if you were a business, hopefully you would have support and you would make money. But uh,
0: well, I it's that's neither here nor there uh, as far as the money goes i like to just make sense. no no right and i'm, I'm and,
1: um, I, I think I'm, what i'm trying to say is that this is very cool that you have you have gone this far with it and are going to see it through is because it's a it's a, a pretty ingenious idea and uh it's smart um it's smart listening i will tell you
0: that up well on that note I'm going to get out of (laughs) here. So right about now, you're going to hear a little violin chime.
1: I love that violin chime.